as I was reading this uh, parable, I was struck again by its power, and I want to, I just, I've just been praying, I really want you to get this this morning. I really want you to get it. It's not about whether I preach a good sermon or whether I have a funny story. It's about whether you get it. It's about whether it changes you. And, and not only change you, but change the life of our church. Because I really believe in this church. It's been so good just to reconnect and understand that there are good people here. And, and you are good people. And I love this church. And just as we were meeting in our green room uh, before, just getting ready for service, I'm thinking about all the people here, all the people that serve on the welcome team, all the people that contribute in all different ways. This is a really good church. And I'm really glad to be back. But that does not mean that there isn't a challenge. And I want to give you a challenge this morning. I want to challenge you as I've been challenged. And as I've observed different churches and different communities, when we get to the end of today, I want to tell you a story which has really informed my thinking around where God is taking us and a challenge for us. But firstly, I want to present to you an empty chair. Thanks, Josh. I want you to imagine, in fact, as Josh puts this up here, that, thanks, mate, that this is actually the sort of seat you might find in a railway station. And maybe it's uh, down, downstairs. And I want you to imagine yourself that it's one of those Perth days where it, the sun seems to have gone down a little bit quicker than what you expected. And maybe you're trying to get yourself home, catch the train. And you come down the stairs, and on this seat, I want you to imagine that there's a, a really tough-looking guy, and he's sitting there, and you're a little bit intimidated. And I want you to imagine this guy, he's got a cold chisel singlet on. It's barely on. His guns are poking out, much like mine. <laughs> Would, if I exercised. Uh, I want you to imagine he's covered in tattoos, I want you to imagine that he's looking gruff. And I want you to imagine that it's a little bit dark and you are feeling a little bit scared. But you have to go this way. Maybe even you have to sit down next to him as you wait for the train. And you don't want to. So you have to walk this way. And So you're walking up and this guy's on the seat. And you hear that familiar sound of a mobile phone, and it's ringing. And he picks up the phone. And you're getting close enough that you could hear what he's about to say. <gasps> Is the grunt that comes as he picks up the phone. But then something changes. Something changes in his demeanor. And also in the tone of his voice. And you hear him say these words. Hey, sweetie. Don't worry. Daddy's going to be home soon. Oh, that's amazing. You made that for me. I can't wait to see it. And you realize that he's talking to his probably really young daughter. Maybe she's in kindergarten. And suddenly you understand something in that moment. The power of human relationship and connection. And how this person who, in all appearances, 
is actually like, he's like a dad. And he's got someone at home that he loves and would probably die for, who lights up his whole face. And suddenly, you don't feel so bad about sitting down next to him. Things have changed. And I want you to think about that seat for a while. We're going to come back to that seat the very end of the message today. But we are looking at a parable. And it's a parable that's found in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 4. And it's, it's the parable of the sower. And there's a couple of things I want to say before, before we get into it. Jesus is about to give this parable. And if you look at the other Gospels, it's probably most likely a parable that he gave not long after, maybe even immediately after his mum and his brothers and some well-meaning perhaps friends and relatives had come to him because they were really concerned about his state of mind. They thought that he was mad. They certainly thought he was in danger. They were concerned about what they'd heard and what was going to happen to him. And they wanted to come and take him away. I don't know if you remember that story, but that happened in Jesus' life. And I think about that story and I think about how did that make Jesus feel? The angel had come, we, we talk about it at Christmas time, to Mary, his mother, and said, to, you know, this, you're going to have this amazing child who's going to be born to you. Had she forgotten those words? His brothers had grown, grown up with him. They had seen him at a very young age, maybe around the age of 12, in the temple, arguing or well, conversing with the priests and the scholars and astounding them with his knowledge. And then he says, oh, I have to be in my father's house. Had they forgotten that incident? What had gone wrong that at this moment for Jesus... Those people that knew him and loved him, had bore him, didn't really believe the words that he was saying. You know, there's a problem, isn't there? When you share your faith, and maybe you've plucked up the courage one day to share your faith or to tell someone about Jesus. Maybe they said to you, what did you do on the weekend? I went to church. Or maybe you've prayed for someone for a long time. Maybe you have a a son or a daughter or a mother or a father or someone that you have shared with and you've told them about Jesus. Maybe they've even come to church and heard the gospel. And you're thinking to yourself, if you're being honest, if you take off your game show face, God, you say that your word is all-powerful. You say that the truth of the gospel can change anyone's life. And I have given it. And I have prayed. Why have they not believed? Why have they not changed? Why have you not done what I thought you would do? The Bible says that your word is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. Why have they not believed? So I wonder if in the frustration... Of all that, if what Jesus has to say here is actually going to help you with the answer to that question. And I wonder if in this parable, Jesus is reacting to the fact that not everyone believes. The word is given, but not everyone believes. I've got some some illustrations that are going to come to the stage now, Josh. Thank you. 
And just as he's bringing them up, I'm going to read to you from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. And I think it's going to be on the screen. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. This seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have many deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as been planted. Then he he said, this is really important uh, for you as you read parables to understand this little next thing that Jesus says. As we read parables, and perhaps even as you deal with your Christian life and struggle, this, this little line he says here is really important. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, that group of women and and others, they asked him what the parables meant. He replied, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, If you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much as has been planted. Parables often will use an earthly illustration to illustrate a divine truth. And Jesus will use something that was known to the people of that day in order to provoke their minds to think about something that is deeper. And he will use farming illustrations often. And often he'll use illustrations about food because (laughs) they were much closer to food production than what most of us are. Most of us don't have to grow the food, care for it, then prepare it, because if we don't, we won't eat. I was, as you know, I was in Tassie, and uh, uh, friends of ours had a baby, uh, and we would often we would make people a meal. Uh, But it's very hard to post lasagna 
all the way from Tasmania. You can't do that. So what do we do? We go, I go online, I find Uber Eats, I put my credit card in, I send them a code, they get that code, they put the code into Uber Eats, 30 minutes later, burritos turn up on their front door. That's how food works. But for the people that Jesus spoke to, food was so much closer to their very existence. So they understood. So he's using the parable of the sower because it's going to provoke certain feelings in them. If, I, if, if he was here today, he may use a different type of parable. So for us, uh, living as we do, I mean, I'm sure many of you are much better gardeners than what I am. That's not hard. Uh, and you might understand a lot more of this than what I would. But we're not close to their food as perhaps they were back then. This was vital to them. And it's pointing to a greater spiritual truth. And the truth it's pointing to is that, and I want to say this even from the outset, there is a responsibility on the heart of the hearer about what you do with God's word and what someone does with God's word. And there is a responsibility on each of us to do with God's revelation and God's inspiration. You are responsible for that. You have choices in that matter. And you have choice what you will do with the seed that is given. God has given us choices about what we're going to do with our faith, about what we're going to do with our lives. And the people that come through these doors or hear the word of God in whatever way, they have a choice and they have a responsibility as well. I was having a discussion with someone, someone who if I said their name, you'd say they're famous. And they were asking me the question around suffering and why there are things in the world and why things are bad and why people do bad things. I'm thinking, well, people do bad things because they want to. God has never taken away any, your free choice to do good or to do bad, to receive his word or to not. But in this parable, Jesus wants to indicate four types of hearts, four types of soil. And for me, as I read this, I... I think I'm like you. I'm like, well, how come people don't believe? I want them to believe. It is a passion of my heart, of my life, that people would say yes to Jesus. I want to see people say yes to Jesus for the first time. I want to see them respond. I want to see them understand what I understand. Don't you want that? We all want that. We want people to get baptized and to go on with their faith and to grow. We don't want people to stagnate. So as I read this parable, it it helps a bit to know what's going on. (laughs) And so the first one we have is is the path. And these are just visual representations just to try and, you know, they're not perfect. But there's rocks like a path in this jar and a little bit of growth maybe poking out from the top. Melinda and I have been doing lots of walks lately. And there was one particular walk we took, which was about a three-hour walk through the rainforest. And it was, it was a path that um, I don't think anyone, they rarely go on. It was one of those undiscovered sort of walks where you're walking through, you're ducking under fern trees and bushes. And eventually, after about three hours, we got to this incredible waterfall 
well worth, worth it. But on the way, the path was not clearly marked. Not many people had walked on a path. If you walk along a clearly defined path, that is a path where people have trod that down. And it's been pushed down and pushed down. And the reason it's, you can see it's a path is because there's nothing growing in that path. It's hard. It's hard. And there are going to be people where you are going to share your faith. You're going to talk about Jesus. The word of God is not going to penetrate. It's hard. There's also like the shallow soil. Rocks and soil and a bit more action perhaps in that place. There's a bit of soil there and there's a bit of growth. And there are going to be some people that allow a little bit of that stuff in and there's going to be a little, of, little bit of growth. But there's so many other things going on in their lives. You know the line of that song? You are the passion of my life, Lord Jesus. Are you, are you really? Is it, is it really what we get excited about? Is it actually the passion of our lives? Like honestly, when we, and I think it's most clearly seen when we make choices about our lives, about where we're going to live, about what we're going to do with our jobs, about what we're going to do with our lives. I, I could go easy and say, it's okay, you know, well, that's all fine. But actually, when we sing that, you are the passion of my life. Lord Jesus, there's actually a lot of other things that, actually, if we're honest, we're a lot more passionate about than Jesus. Maybe we know we should be passionate about him. Maybe we know that's truth. Maybe it's an aspirational idea. But when it comes down to it, there's so many other things. It's shallow soil and thorns with this rather sad-looking rose, which is plastic, everyone. It's okay. The cares and the worries of this world, the anxiety of this world, all the other things that we put in our lives and we allow to choke out. You know, there are people that come to this church and I call them C and E's. C and E's. Christmas and Easter. Christmas and Easter. And I love seeing them come. Don't get me wrong. And as a pastor, uh, I know they're going to be there. And I, you know what? Some of them have been coming for years. C and E. Christmas and Easter. And so every Christmas and every Easter, it's my absolute intention that we will preach the gospel. <laughs> We're not going to talk about having a good marriage. We're not going to talk about raising kids well, all the other things that the scriptures tell us about. Well, I'm just going to give them the straight truth. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He made his sacrifice for you. And your responsibility as a human being is to worship your creator and say yes to Jesus. It's If you want your sins forgiven... This is where you come, and you have sinned. 
and you need to turn to God. It's the most important thing. And every Christmas and every Easter, I'm going to say that. And I'm sure at some point with the people that you know, you love, you care about, at some point you're going to tell them the gospel. You might say it with trembling voice. You might say it and not feel you've got it exactly right. Man, I don't get it exactly right. Don't stress. (laughs) But you're going to say it. You're going to share the truth about Jesus. And then you're going to wait six months for Christmas and Easter to roll around again. The same person to come. And at some point you're going to be discouraged. And you're going to think, why isn't this working? You're going to wonder where God's power is. And maybe you'll think about the thorns. Maybe you think about the shallow soil. Maybe you'll think about the path. And all the different barriers that people put up. The reasons they'll say no to Jesus. Maybe they'll say, yeah, I'll have a little bit of Jesus alongside other things in my life. I'll have a little bit of stuff going on there because I, I know it's right. But there's other stuff that if I was really honest, I'd say, well, this is actually more important. And of course, you have the good soil. And the good soil is where it's rich, it's deep. The roots of the plant can go down and do their job. You know, it's, I'm no botanist, I'm no gardener, but I do know a lot of stuff goes on below the surface before the stuff comes out the top. I've watched my coriander bush and my chili bush <laughs> and my other bushes and my, oh, blood oranges. Oh, it's blood orange season, everyone. I picked my first caracara the other day. God is good. There's a lot of stuff that goes on below the surface before the stuff comes out the top. A tree planted by streams of living water, that good soil. And that does happen. It does happen. We've seen people say yes to Jesus for the first time. We've seen baptisms. You have seen God at work. God has been at work in your life. And good fruit has come. Good soil. I wonder what it is, because I don't want, there's one thing I want to make really clear. Jesus never said that this was just the way it is. He never said that this person was always going to be this person. And he never said this person was always going to be this person, and this person was always going to be that person. He never said that that person that's been a CNE for 10 years is always going to be that. That's not what he said. He does call you to pray. He does call you to ask. He does call you to intervene and to intercede. How incredible that you could be the key for someone being transformed as you pray. There's their choice. There's the work of the Holy Spirit and there's the work of Christians in the church to see this thing happen. But if I could just, if you could just bear with me on this whole gardening analogy for just a moment longer, 
Let me tell you what I think is one of the key factors to go from here to go from here. My very limited experience, you need to till that soil. You need to work that rock. In fact, there may even need to be a storm coming to work that soil and to break it down. In order for someone to respond to the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, there very well need, may need to be some serious pain that happens in their lives. You see, <laughs> a path is just a hard path. The only way we're going to get to the good soil is we're going to break it up. We need to get rid of the, the, the rocks and the shallow, shallowness of this, and we need to dig down deep. We need to pull out the thorns. Before we went away, <coughs> I, I hate, if I hate gardening, I detest weeding. Like weeding is the worst. I will pick up my dog's droppings before I will pick up and pull out weeds. Uh, so Melinda said, Mark, you have to do the weeding. You have to get these weeds out. So I get the shovel and I scrape along the top of the soil. And she comes back and says, that is a terrible job. All you who garden know that that is a ter- Why is it a terrible job? Because the roots are below the surface, right? You've got to get that root and you've got to pull the whole thing out, apparently. so for this that needs work that needs pain that needs some real deepness to go on in that so why did Jesus say it's harder for a rich person to pass into the kingdom of God he didn't say it was impossible he just said it was hard and why is it hard because a rich person, forget about the wealth. It, it's not about the wealth. It's, it's about the comfort. It's about they have their life in order. It's about the fact that everything is good. I don't need. I'm not looking outside of myself. I don't need God. I have everything I need. And so how hard is it, is it, let's just be honest, about the situation where we live in one of the most prosperous cities, in one of the most prosperous nations in the world? What do people need? I'm not saying pray for a storm in someone's life. But I am saying storm and pain and tilling of the soil and pulling out the roots. These are all violent things. These are all things that will cause discomfort. And discomfort may very well be what they need. And very well, when they have come to the end of themselves, they may actually find Jesus. I hope that helps. I hope that's actually helpful for you. I hope you understand that at some point, you know, target your, your prayers, target your words, target your thoughts, and understand that at, at a very simple level, everyone is responsible to God for what they do with what he gives. It's their choice what they will do. And that is really sad sometimes, but it's also really joyful as well. I want to give you two practical things this morning, just two practical things. And I want to come back to the seat in a, in a minute. The first thing to say is just this. For you, I wonder if you see yourself anywhere here. 
I wonder if you were honest with yourself, if you'd say, well, you know, my roots aren't going down very deep. Well, I do want to say to you, if that's the truth, well, that's on you. It's actually on you. God's word is powerful. The Holy Spirit is there to help you. Start to make some really good choices. (laughs) If there's a whole heap of stuff in your life, which if you're honest, it's Jesus is not the passion of your life. Then maybe there's time to get rid of some stuff which is taking away from where he should be. The one of the most I'm very vulnerable, one of the most frustrating parts for me of being a pastor, of being a leader of a church is Christians who never change. And one of the key identifying factors of a Christian that never changes and never gets better is that they don't see that there's a problem. Man, it's gut-wrenching to me how far I have to go in my character and my walk with Jesus. It's just, it's almost, it's so humbling when I think about how far I have to go. And I really mean that. I'm like, whoa, Lord, surely I should be better by now. But I do think about how far I've come. And I'm really grateful in that moment. If you are saying to yourself, no, no, I'm good. Things are great. I I don't do stuff wrong. There's nothing in my life that God needs to work on. You're in the most dangerous place to be. That's the first thing. The second thing is back to this chair. When we were on holidays, we were looking for a church to go to on a, on a special day. And we were in a really small little uh, fishing village. And we found a church on Facebook. We thought they would have a service, maybe send a message. Turns out there was a, a combined service in this really small little town. And so Melinda and I, we wanted to be in church on that day. So we rock up to this church. Now... I'm over 50, everyone. But when Melinda and I... And this is, not the, this is not the point of the story, by the way. When we rocked up to this church, we brought the age down by 20, 30 years uh, in average. And that's totally fine. We, that doesn't worry me at all. It was a very traditional church. That doesn't worry Melinda. She loves all the smells and bells and stuff. So for her, it was great. Good. We're going to be with God's people in God's house. That's all that mattered. So we come into this church, and um, there was three or four rows of chairs. And the only row left in the church, we were 15 minutes early, because I don't like being late for church. We were 15 minutes early, but the only two seats, like there was a couple of other singles, but the only two seats left were where? Front row. Now, I'm a pastor, right? Church is my business, right? Who should not be more comfortable than me? I was really uncomfortable. I felt really awkward. And I'm me, right? can only imagine what it would be like for someone that was visiting for the first time. I can't imagine. So anyway, we go and we sit down in those two seats. 
and we're waiting for the smells and bells to start. And we hear this grumbling behind us. And we think it's directed at us. So Melinda, who is much more courageous than me, turns around and says, is everything okay? Are we in your way? And the person says, you're sitting in my friend's seat. Now, this is much more about me than what it is about the church, and I really mean that. In that moment, Melinda looks at me and says, Mark, you have gone white. Now, I'm already pale, but you have gone white. And she would always have wanted to stay. But she said, we, do, you, do we need to go? I said, yeah, we need to go. So we left. <laughs> and off we went. I just couldn't be there. Now, that's me. I'll, you know, it's me that's being triggered. But it really caused me to think about what we do as a church. Now, are we good? I think we are good. I think we are okay. Can we be better? Yeah, we can. Can you be better? Yeah, you can. Can I be better? 100%. Because, you know, the seat... It's there for the visitor. It's there for the stranger. It's there for the person that, you know, feels like, am I meant to be here? The walls are going to cave in. Uh, You know, it's there for that person. It was a real challenge for me. I I should give you the end of the story, right? Should I give you the end of the story? Because it has a good ending, sort of. I messaged the, the pastor. Uh, the person, I, I didn't know he's the pastor, but I messaged the person on Facebook and said, look, I just want to, Melinda said I shouldn't. I said, I'm going to. Uh, <laughs> I messaged them and I said, look, I'm really sorry. I just want to apologize because, because I know what it's like. You know, some young people <laughs> come into your church and you're like, whoa, revival's breaking out. Um, so <laughs> I messaged and I said, look, I'm really sorry. I'm a pastor. This is what happened. It's about me. Not, uh, he, he said, and I was honest with him, pastor to pastor. Sends a message back, says, like, I know who you're talking about. I'm really sorry that happened. Uh, Da-da-da-da, we had a connection. We've talked. And it was just nice to hear. We don't want to be like that, do we? We That's not us. We want to be a church that extends the invite. We want to be a church that understands that people are on a journey We want to be a church that doesn't judge people by what what they look like. But we welcome them into our hearts. We welcome them into our lives. And we understand that the power of God and the power of the word of God can change lives. And we want to see people say yes to Jesus. Amen. Father, this morning, help us, I pray and I ask, to always be a church that that invites to be people that invite, to be people that make room for others. Spirit of God, change us and cause us to become more like Jesus every day. In this moment, Lord, we say yes to you. Forgive us for where we have been selfish. Forgive us, Lord, for where your word and your spirit has sought to have effect in our lives and we have turned from that. 
May you be the passion of our lives, Lord Jesus. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are a lady and you are 18 years over, we have a special gift. It's actually a little plant to remind you. And we want to thank Shell and Tracy for giving that little gift for you. We also have some cake for you. So I believe, ladies, you're going to go to the morning tea table first. Have an awesome time, 18 years and over. Have a great day. And God bless. I look forward to seeing you all next week.